Uh, welcome back to the showcast. So our our next guest this week is someone whose face I'm sure you definitely recognize. You've seen him in movies such as The Da Vinci Code, Take Me Home Tonight, which I'm actually a big fan of, uh, and TV shows such as Dirty Sexy Money, Nip Tunk, and Fringe. And now, even though the second season has just wrapped up, you can see him as part of the cast of WGN America's show Salem. Please welcome Seth Gable. Seth, how you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We're glad to have you on. Uh, so, um, as I just mentioned, you know, the second season of Salem had just wrapped up. Um, I know myself personally, I wasn't really all that familiar with Salem until recently, um, you know, into this second season. But so for people like me who weren't too familiar with it, uh, who, who are listening to us right now, tell us a little bit about Salem and your character, Cotton. Uh, well, the show is about the Salem witch trials, which we all learned about in high school. Um, but this is definitely not the Arthur Miller version of that uh, historical experience. Um, what we presuppose is that witches are real and we're actually running the witch trials themselves and causing the deaths of innocent people so that they could complete uh, what was called their grand rite. And that's the whole basis of season one is, is them killing enough innocent people to kind of cause this, uh, this act to be completed that would unleash hell and bring the devil to earth. And season two is all about um, the devil finding a body um, to, to live inside of and, uh, and take over our world. Uh, and in the meantime, there's witches from all around the world uh, descending upon Salem and, and fighting over who will be responsible for bringing the Dark Lord to Earth because it will be great benefits for them. Yeah. Uh, and I play Cotton Mather, who's a, a real historical figure who is running the witch trials. Uh, and in season one, I'm charged with uh, with finding the witches and killing them. And uh, unfortunately, they tricked me into killing a lot of innocent people. So uh, my character is constantly on the verge of an existential crisis. And yeah. so he takes to drinking, and uh, he's a bit of a sex addict and an alcoholic. Uh, even though he's a reverend, he goes to brothels and uh, and is always getting into trouble. Um, so it's an incredibly dynamic role, which I'm honored to play. And um, in season two, I think we really found our stride. I think uh, like thematically, it's it's called Witch War. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but um, a lot of the shit is really hitting the fan in season two. And I feel like the writers, the actors, everyone really hit our stride. And uh, I'm really proud of the season. Yeah. Did you ever see uh, pictures of the real Cotton Mather? Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he wore a wig and didn't yeah. have a beard. I, we um we don't like we definitely play it as a period piece, but we make it a little more accessible. Um, we try not to contemporize it, but um, but people look a little more familiar. Uh, yeah. You know, it's I think we just didn't want the wigs and stuff to distract, so it's like a bit of an adaptation. Adam Simon, the creator of our show, uh, or one of the creators, along with Brandon Braga, uh, he talks about the show as a, an early American fantasy. I mean, there's so few stories out there that have to do with the United States, uh, but from a fantasy perspective. I mean, like Game of Thrones and all those, you know, movies about King Arthur and, and stories about that. Like, the English and the Europeans have their fantasy that they can draw upon but we don't really have that and so i think that that's what this show aspires to do is is create a pre-american fantasy which when you get into the mindset of it it really makes sense because if you think about america before it was the united states 
uh, it was a completely new world. I mean, they called it the new world. It, it, it's almost as if we went to colonize Mars. I mean, it's just insane, and we have no yeah. idea what could be there. So these Puritans came over in search of religious freedom, uh, but at the same time, they they had personal repression based on their religious beliefs. And while this is going on, they're creating a new society for themselves there in the woods where anything can be lurking in the shadows. And they strongly believed in heaven and hell. Um, they, you know, I, I have my character on set, like for all my marks um, that I go to stand on, I put red tape down underneath because I feel like a huge part of their mentality back then was that the devil is constantly lurking below them. And so whenever I look down and see my mark that I'm supposed to hit for the camera, I'm always reminded that the devil is kind of nipping at my heels and it's just increasing the stakes of the situation. But they really believe that stuff. And there were Native Americans who we had no idea about. They just seemed like these savages that wanted to kill them all the time. Um, they dealt with famine, starvation, all these terrible things. And so uh, it, it, it justifies the mindset of, you know, there being a witch panic and, and mm -hmm. killing tons of innocent people. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, uh, like you said, you guys delve into it's a little bit of an exact, not, I guess, an exaggeration of what the actual Salem witch trials were. You, you guys take it as if the witches were actually existed and, and, and such. Do you guys go through a lot of, um, uh, historians who, who went through the, you did a lot of research on the Salem witch trials to use at least as a base point well, for it? Adam, Adam, Simon, and Brandon Braga, they're, they're kind of the experts on the situation. I mean, they've read like every book on the subject. I started to read a few books on the subject. I also, uh, in high school had gotten to perform in the crucible. So I have an understanding of like the facts of that time, but, um, but I, I started to find that it wasn't totally necessary in order to act in the piece. I mean, it's all very interesting information and, and I got enough to kind of understand the, uh, the thought process of the time and enough to understand the period, um, but it was clear that for me as an actor, it was going to be really easy to just kind of jump into those circumstances. Like uh, we live in this time, in the 1690s, just understanding the context of, of where we are, uh, and there's there are witches. I mean, it's just a matter of like really believing the devil has these servants called witches, and they're manipulating us to. Uh, do his will, and if they're successful, we're all going to die, and our souls are going to burn in hell, and he's going to come to earth, and in the war between heaven and hell, he's going to cause the earth to be not the dominion of man, but the dominion of you know demons and the devil himself. So, yeah. Sounds uh, like a great time to be alive. History books <laughs> don't really have much about the devil during that time, so I figured I could just kind of go for the ride. Yeah. And they spent millions of dollars building and recreating the town of Salem um, in Shreveport, Louisiana. So all you have to do is leave your cell phone in your trailer and you're just instantly transported to another realm. So it's just a matter of like putting on the costume and, and going for that ride. Yeah. Uh, I know um, Salem is one of the – actually is the first original series that's produced and distributed by WG in America. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious how, how you feel about – being a part of what is hopefully the first of many original shows for the network. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the network there. I mean, having Salem, which is uh, very provocative without being gratuitous as their flagship show. I feel like that indicates, you know, they're, they're wanting to push the boundaries. This isn't, you know, this isn't a, a network show like ABC or, or NBC or something like that. Like mm -hmm. it, 
it wants to push the limits of what's possible. And, and Matt Chernis and Peter Ligori are involved in on the WGN side and the Tribune side, and they have a history at FX and uh, and Fox, and they they know they know what it is to make great content um, that that isn't fearful of of offending anyone. Um, just let the story tell itself, and and no matter how gratuitous it may seem, it, it's not as long as it's grounded in reality and real drama and characters that you care about. Uh, it's it makes it all the more exciting for people. Um, so I think it's a great indication that WGN started the Salem. Um, there are other shows; they have so many in the works, and they're all they all tend to be these kind of uniquely American stories, which I think is fascinating. I don't think they intended that, um, but they've got some other cool things in the work. If you go uh, to their website, you could see that. But um, but at first it was scary to to join this new network um, mm-hmm. because you don't know you know how they're going to support the show, how they'll back it up, but. The one thing that I loved was that I really saw the potential for the show, and I felt like because this was their first show out of the gate, selfishly I thought, well, they can't really ever cancel it because if they <laughs> yeah. do, they're kind of admitting that um, the network failed on some level. So uh, I was excited to you know, really, really be able to dive into something knowing that we'll very likely be able to tell the whole complete story. Yeah, right. it's a little bit yeah. of job security. Yeah, exactly. That too. <laughs> yeah, and the second season gained a lot more attention than the first. I think I saw um, a statistic like the season two premiere was up like 150 percent um, in adults, which is a, a huge jump. What do you, did you guys do anything different this season that made it more successful? Or do you think it was just kind of word of mouth, or, or what do you think it was that made it more successful? Uh, it seems like it was both word of mouth and being released on Netflix uh, in October. Um, of last year. Um, when we first started airing, I think WGN America, the channel, was only in like 60% of homes, mm-hmm. and probably 90% of people didn't know that that channel now existed on their TV. Yeah, um, I, I did not until season <laughs> one came out. When I saw the commercial for season one, I was like, oh, that's a channel? <laughs> yeah, and they put they did a lot of billboards and everything to try to make people aware. Uh, and I think over time it has started to pay off, and I think enough people have been calling and complaining to their cable providers. I think now we're in, like, 70 to 75% of homes, so there's a big increase there. Um, but uh, a lot of people that recognize me in the streets, I, I ask them, you know, how do you watch the show and or how did you become aware of it? And uh, for most people it was season one on Netflix. Netflix. Unfortunately, um, they all thought that the show was a Netflix show, but uh, <laughs> I think people are becoming more aware that it's on WGN and finding the channel. And um, I think also this year we kind of broke a record for the live plus threes or plus sevens, like the number, like we had a rating for the premiere, and then it jumped to like three times that when yeah, you added in the people that DVR'd it. Yeah, I think it went like point two to point five or something like that. It was a, a big number. Yeah, it was a big leap. Um, and another crazy thing about the network is the ratings are really weird because they it airs like there isn't a West version and an East version of the mm-hmm. channel. So uh, our ratings are based on like the 10 p.m. airing on the East Coast, which is also the 7 p.m. on the West Coast. So most people aren't watching on the West Coast. So I feel like the ratings that get reported are only half of the picture because People on the West Coast will then watch it at 10 p.m. their time, but that doesn't count for 
the ratings for the show. So it's a really right. weird thing. But yeah. that kind of stuff doesn't really matter nowadays, and everyone involved in the show just wants people to, to watch it. So uh, that's another benefit of, of feeling like we can't be canceled. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't matter how they watch it as long as they're watching it. I know um, Lucy Lawless was new to season two, right? She wasn't in the first yeah, which, no, she wasn't in season one. Season one, we had uh, Stephen Lang from Avatar, who's awesome. He played my dad, and I got to kill him. <laughs> uh, we actually had a really great time. And then Lucy Lawless, when I heard that they were bringing her to the show, I thought it was perfect, because I feel like what works about the show is very much what worked about shows like Spartacus and Battlestar Galactica, where it's these really extreme circumstances that can kind of border on being campy, but the campiness is more just a big entertainment factor, and everything is actually grounded in like characters and drama that you really care about um, to just make, I mean, the experience totally satisfying. Yeah, I was gonna say because see, I was a big fan. Like, not many people realize she's been in a ton of stuff since Xena. Like, <laughs> that wasn't the only thing she's ever done. I was a huge fan of uh, when she was in the first season of Spartacus. I think that show was was really great, and then it kind of. Yeah. With uh, with the main guy passing away, unfortunately, it kind of had to go in a different direction. But yeah, yeah, I know Andy Whitfield. That uh, oh man, that made me so sad. Yeah, when that happened because everyone loved him. He had like such a such a heart. Like you could just see, like this character that could kind of be perceived as arrogant or showy, especially you know he's with his shirt off most of the time. You want to, <laughs> usually want to hate someone like that, but you just loved him because he just really seemed like he had an amazing heart. And uh, it's just so tragic that he passed. Yeah, I mean, it was such a good. But um, back back to um, Salem real quick. Is there any? It, you know, you mentioned um, not thinking of of the feeling of getting canceled. Is season three confirmed then at this point? Uh, not yet. It. Uh, I'm hearing it's a foregone conclusion, and there's kind of other just weird red tape things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm very confident it's going to come back. I know everyone involved with it is. It's just. I don't know something sketchy going on on the business side of things. <laughs> yeah, um, I know as we as we mentioned earlier at the beginning towards the intro, another show you were on that I know Adam and I were both huge fans of was Fringe. Oh, cool! Um, and I know it had like huge elements, uh, you know, of science fiction. And now with Salem, you're working in the supernatural, which they kind of go hand in hand. So, um, is that like a, a genre that you're a fan of? That the supernatural? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a big. I'm a big science nerd and, as a result, sci-fi nerd. Um, I just think kind of the, the time we're living, approaching singularity, I mean, this kind of stuff is un, it's unignorable. Uh, and it's the kind of stories that I'm the most interested by. I think growing up with all those Spielberg and Zemeckis movies, I mean, Back to the Future and Jurassic Park and E.T. and, I mean, Close Encounters, like all of that, it's just like everything that I was the most entertained by as a child had to do with, sci-fi stuff and so I don't know that just has kind of stuck with me and then when I realized as an actor I can kind of play in those worlds I was like oh this is this is the easiest profession in the world like I just (laughs) I get paid to play pretend and like people are spending millions of dollars making it seem like it's real that I'm actually crossing universes and (laughs) you know playing with crazy technology so yeah I mean it's definitely what I'm drawn to most yeah and um Ben and I are both big fans of Arrow as well, and you were the count in that show. Kind of disappointed when um, they ended up killing him off. Yeah, me too. I think that happened because I had gotten Salem, uh, and okay. uh, it was like it was going to be really difficult. And there were there were one or two other episodes that they wanted me to do that I was unavailable for, and 
I think it was a thing where, you know, they just they couldn't keep me under a contract and I have to keep trying to get other work. So they were like, uh, I guess we let's just kill him. <laughs> and um, I had gotten a call from um, from Mark Guggenheim, the creator of that show, when I when I was reading the script that I die. And he said, uh, I just want you to know that in this, you know, in this world of Arrow, anyone can come back. And I was like, <laughs> Mark, I get shot with like four arrows <laughs> through the chest and I fall out a 10 story window <laughs> and land on top of a car. I think I'm dead and it's okay. It's been a great run. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, real quick on, on the fringe note. Um, I don't remember exactly when, what season it started kicking in. I was just third or fourth. I think it was third, maybe even second. Um, you were essentially two characters, the same person, but two different characters in alternate universes. Was that, any more challenging than normal? I mean, was that like a... Because in a few scenes, you were in the same room with yourself. Yeah, point. in the same shot a lot of yeah, times, like yeah. a Michael Keaton multiplicity actor. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it was challenging, but it, it was it was fun. It was really fun. And I, I was fortunate to get to see Anna Torv do it a bunch before before I needed to do it. Um, like well, she, the, she at least had the different color hair. You, I think you just had like, a different hairstyle and some glasses. <laughs> well, for a while, yeah, I had, I had glasses and stuff. The changing characters was really easy. Like, I I think the only time it became tricky was, like, it, it's easy for me. When I put on the clothes of a character, that's when I become the character. It just mm-hmm. kind of changes, I don't know, my internal mindset by the way those the, it looks and feels. Um, the only time it became tricky, I guess, was when, um, the blue verse Agent Lee. Blue is our world, right? And red is the alternate. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when the blue verse uh, Lincoln Lee was pretending to be the red verse one, um, that's the only time it became tricky, and I had to take my glasses off and actually wear the costume of the other character. But um, he was pretending to be that anyway, so I felt like anything that kind of bled over would work for the show. Yeah. And on a on a kind of a small world type of thing, I don't know if it was a scene you were in or not, but the um we uh like last year we talked to the um stunt coordinator for Arrow, James Bamford. Oh, he's incredible. Uh, yeah, he was in Yeah, said, yeah, he uh, uh the episodes. Josh did Josh Jackson shoot him or did I? I can't remember. One of us yeah, ended up shooting him. Yeah, it was when you guys were escaping, right? Yeah, well we got we got captured and then oh we were about to be executed by by that guy. Yeah, and yeah. then like, uh, and then we fought him, and and he ended up getting shot. And yeah, then I got to work with him on Arrow, which was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, real quick before we let you go, I don't think many people know this about you. You're actually married to Bryce Dallas Howard with a couple. Yeah. Of Did you? Uh, uh, it's an uh, awesome time to be married to. Her. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> what were your thoughts on? I mean, I guess you have to say you like Jurassic World. <laughs> I, I really did like it. I, I went to the premiere, which was awesome. Um, I thought it was really fun. I got to read the script like a year or two ago, and um, I had kind of been hearing the the rumors, you know, for like the last ten years about militarized dinosaurs and stuff like that. So I was really nervous before I read it, and then I thought the script was awesome, and it just had that the feel of the original Jurassic Park, and um, and it has characters that you care about, and I think Chris Pratt was awesome in it, and 
It was great. And all, I mean, we're pinching ourselves every day just hearing <laughs> the news on how well it's doing in the world. It's just completely surreal. Yeah, yeah largest, largest, largest movie opening of all time at this point. Yeah, Which I know. Is... And I, I'm, I keep, in the back of my mind, I keep hearing that and I'm like, awesome. And then I know Star Wars is coming out and I'm like, Ugh, okay, we just got to enjoy this time while it lasts. I don't, I don't know. I think, I, I, I think yeah, you guys might be, uh, yeah, I think you guys might be good. I, I don't know if Star Wars is going to beat it, to be honest. Well, it's, it's coming out in around Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I guess people go on winter vacations and stuff. I don't know if was, the timing was just kind of perfect for Jurassic World. I don't, I don't know, but, I mean, everyone lines up for Star Wars movies, too, so we'll see. I think, though, but I think with Star Wars, and not to go off on a just a, a quick tangent, but I think with Star Wars, I think the last couple see and Jurassic Park kind of suffered from the same thing, but I think the last three Star Wars movies kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths. So the diehard fans are going to go see it, but everybody else, I think, might wait until they get the word back. Uh, where Jurassic World was just something everybody wanted to see at this time, and I, yeah. I've seen it twice already, and I love it. So it's awesome. Um, have you seen it in 3D? I did. I saw it on IMAX 3D the first time. Nice. Yeah, and it yeah, was it was uh, definitely awesome. I haven't made it out yet. We have a, a six and a half month old, so it's very difficult uh, to find time yeah, <laughs> to get you... to movies. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you have friends that don't have kids that are like, hey, let's go to the movies? And you're like, I can't. My life is over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Even, even some of my friends with like older kids are able to now. So yeah. the first couple of years, I think, are going to be uh It gets fun. easier. Apple TV becomes your friend. Yeah. You just like, don't see anything in the theater, and then suddenly like you've got all this awesome stuff. You just have to ignore that it ever came out. And then when it suddenly appears on iTunes, you're like, awesome, I can watch this in my home now. But it's so hard to ignore it when, when I do a movie TV podcast every week and see how the numbers keep going up. I'm like, ah, I want to go see it. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of, um, of the kids, you have a boy and a girl. And I just want to ask you on a personal note, uh-huh. which was easier to raise as a, a, in the younger stages? Because I always hear boys are more difficult when they're younger but get easier yeah. as they get older. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely been been the case. Like, but it, it's hard to say because I think like our daughter, our daughter has always. Uh, we have a younger daughter, and and she's always been around an older brother, and so they've been there to kind of entertain each other. So yeah. I don't know if that made it easier, but now we're experiencing like the more sibling rivalry stuff over our attention and things like that. So. I'm always needing to like figure out how to be fair with with who I'm giving time to and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down next to you, and then the other one will be like, no, you need to sit down next to me. And it's like, okay, I'll sit in the middle, and then we'll kind of poke each other like to see who gets more of my body to like sit next to, and it becomes insane. Look, yeah. it's just hard all around. <laughs> That's what you need to know. It's, that is true. It's, it's just challenging. It's not, it's not a walk in the park. That's for sure. So. Yeah, uh, I there was some quote I heard where it's like the hardest thing you'll ever do, but uh, and it ruins your life as you knew it. But um, <laughs> but it's filled with these you know just unbelievable, un- unbelievably transcendent moments. Yeah, yeah, I spent the entire weekend at my house. I don't think I went out once, but it was it was fun still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, um, uh, we're definitely going to send people to check out Salem. Uh, as you had mentioned earlier, the season one is still on Netflix as of right now, mm-hmm. so they can go to Netflix to check it out. Uh, they can check out WGN On Demand for the rest of the episodes or just go to WGNAmerica.com uh, to see when replays are going to be airing on and WGN. Also, like, I, I mean, probably the creative people behind the show would hate me saying this, but 
but I feel like we didn't really find our stride until the second half of season one. So you kind of got to power through the first few episodes, and I promise it's really gonna, <laughs> like pay off and become explosively awesome. Cool. cool. Yeah, we're definitely going to send people towards it, uh, as well as you are at Seth Gable on Twitter, right? Yeah. So yeah, we'll send some people your way to follow you guys on to follow you on Twitter as well. Awesome. Thanks, so, guys. Uh, but yeah, this was a lot of fun, Seth. Thanks for uh, thanks for spending some time with us tonight. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, all right, guys, we will be back with the showcast right after this break. <laughs> 